Hi there, welcome to episode 47 of Paranormal Blip. Thank you ever so much for choosing us and putting us in the podcast mix. Thank you very much. And thank you for your incredible response to that fantastic interview I did with James Yandoli, episode 46, if you haven't heard yet. It's racing up the top 10. You guys are absolutely loving that. Yeah. And also, we've got a bit of breaking news that I talk about in the news. And also in the news, I talk about Merged uh, with Ryan Graves. And I talk about Havana Syndrome. And Rubio's not happy about that, is he? No. And I also talk about the UFO Guide, which I've just found out about. And it's also called the UAP Guide, isn't it? Yeah. Now, if you are new to this, then you must grip your cosmic whip <laughs> with both hands and prepare yourself for you are a non-local hero. And the time it takes for you to listen to this show. Well, that rhymes. So, um, listen, if you want to follow me, you know where you get me. On Twitter, at Paranormal Blip. On Instagram, at Instagram underscore, no, what is it? Paranormal underscore blip underscore podcast, isn't it? Yeah, I ignore that. But, you know, Twitter is the place to get me. So if you want to um, contact me, that's the best way. And thank you so much for sharing the podcast. Um, Sweden in particular, and New Zealand in particular. Shout out to New Zealand, yeah, for uh, sharing the podcast. Also in the States as well, big time. So thank you so much, everyone, that's sharing it. If you have an ailing auntie who's in the hospice, who needs a bit of entertainment, um, first of all, play her episode two, What Happens When You Die. And then when she's all sorted with that, then play the other ones to her. Yeah, lovely. And maybe she can manipulate the digits herself, you know, on the old telephone that she uses, this infamous auntie of yours in the hospice. And maybe tell your bloody auntie to give me five gold stars, why don't you? Yeah, and leave a comment. Yeah, and follow me on Spotify, which loads of you are doing, and on uh, Apple Podcasts, which loads of you are doing. And then there's other podcast providers as well, and they probably have got a follow option as well. So do that as well. Anyway, here's the blumps. Right, okay, let's think. Um, Shall I give you a clue? This is week three. Um, Okay, this is obvious. Spain. Right, such a big clue. So tell me, who is the guest blomper? So breaking news, literally as I record, the lineup for the new and inquire into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon conference, which is happening in April, April the 8th, 2023, in New York again. These are the series of conferences that J. Christopher King and James Iandoli are organizing and hosting. Um, so the lineup has been announced, so let's go through it. And I can exclusively reveal that next week we are going to be talking to Jay about this lineup. So Jay is going to return back to Paranormal Blip and we are going to be speaking about this lineup. It's absolutely fantastic lineup. Get a load of this. Right, so we've got Leslie Kane, um, who needs no introduction. <laughs> We've got Peter Lavander, who is an extraordinary uh, speaker, extraordinary writer, who's been working with Tom DeLon on the Secret Machines uh, series of books, Gods, Man and War. And um, he's absolutely outstanding. We've got Elizabeth Crone, who had a near-death experience and her book about that co-written with Jeffrey Kriopel, is called uh, Change in a Flash. And her near-death experience is absolutely extraordinary. Ryan Graves, who I go on to talk about in some depth in this news section, um, I, am, I love Ryan and I love the work he's doing. And it is fantastic that he is a part of this conference. Daniel Ingram, who is... Uh, just this extraordinary um, like energy and one of the uh, many, many projects that he is involved in is the Emergent Phenomenology Research Consortium, the EPRC. And he recently, just in the last week or so, um, was interviewed by James Yandoli, Engaging the Phenomenon. So check out that uh, interview. And obviously, I'm going to have, um, you know, links to all of these guys 
work and you know everything to do with them in next week's episode which will be a special looking at the upcoming um you know conference in in april so that's daniel james fox you know again um ubiquitous in the kind of uap world director of moment of contact director of the phenomenon um you know absolutely extraordinary um powerhouse and very kind of motivational inspiring person and then derek pitts now derek pitts is the chief astronomer in the franklin institute and um again like an a kind of mold breaking scientist absolutely uh pioneering scientist and incredible to see somebody you know an astronomer of his status um, at the conference so jay very much looking forward to speaking to you next week about this incredible um one day conference that you have i mean that is an extraordinary um you know roster of speakers that you've lined up there with James. So excellent news. And um, obviously James and Jay are are hosting the event. So tickets aren't quite yet available, but they're available in the next couple of uh, weeks. And it's not too long until the actual conference, is it? It's only um, just over a month, actually. A month and a couple of days. So I've got a link to the inquire anomalous um you know kind of twitter um posting which is announcing all of this and what it says we'll also have conference live stream available for purchase more information will be coming very soon the website will go live with public tickets on saturday march the 11th okay so that's good to know so that's next saturday okay so that's actually will probably be the date that i put up the uh episode with with jay as well so that's a nice kind of concurrence okay so there's a little bit of breaking news a little bit of an update on the havana syndrome hit the headlines this week havana syndrome unlikely to have hostile calls us says is the uh, bbc news headline on it but if you actually go into the and that was certainly the uh, the headlines that i saw you know but if you actually go into the uh, report, then it becomes quite interesting. This is an ODNI report, um, an unclassified assessment. Okay, get this man. Of the seven participating agencies, five agreed that available intelligence consistently points against the involvement of US adversaries in causing the reported incidents, and that it is very unlikely. Levels of confidence between participating agencies, however, varied. The report noted that two agencies have moderate to high confidence in the assessment, while three have moderate confidence. One agency judges it is only unlikely a foreign adversary played a role and has only low confidence in this judgment. So only unlikely. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So there's a kind of, um, you know, a split, essentially, within the actual agencies that were asked to contribute to this report and kind of, you know, give their assessment about the likelihood or not of a foreign agency being involved. And, um, you know, so the headlines don't quite get over that nuance. Nevertheless, it looks as if, to me, you know, they're they're saying, well, we don't actually know what's going on, but we want it off the agenda for the moment. So we'll just say that it isn't the Russians. But Rubio's not happy about any of this, is he? No, the Hill reports, and this is linked. Rubio rejects intelligence finding that Havana syndrome not linked to foreign adversary. And uh, here we go. Look, this is what Rubio said. He said... Um, just because intelligence agencies cannot conclusively link the headaches, dizziness, tinnitus, and other symptoms associated with Havana syndrome to any cutting-edge weapon possessed by foreign agents, that doesn't necessarily rule out the possibility. Quote, something happened here, and just because you don't have all the answers doesn't mean that it didn't happen. 
I will not accept that all these reported cases are just coincidences, and I will continue to work on this issue until we receive real explanations. Rubio also said, upon first glance, I am concerned that the intelligence community effectively concluded that US personnel who reported AHI, AHI is anomalous health incidents, AHI symptoms were simply experiencing symptoms caused by environmental factors, illness or pre-existing conditions and is potentially rushing to a conclusion while a substantial number of questions remain. So that's quite good. So he's um, open to the idea that there is, you know, there's a Russian around. Now, but the main part of this um, news section is uh, for a while now, like a couple of months, a couple of weeks at least, um, partly in response to a, a conversation I had with a good friend of mine who I will call the ex-gardener. Yeah, it's like a kind of, like a code name for him. The ex-gardener was saying, how do I speak to people about UAPs? And um, I said, I don't know. I have no idea. It's not as if I try to talk to people about UAPs. <laughs> and um, But anyway, this week, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea why I didn't know about it before. But this week I found uh, a link to this UAP guide. And I've got it in the episode notes, okay? And this is, it's called UAP Guide, and it's uh, HTTPS dot dot, what the, what's that called? Is that is that a colon? Is that a colon? Um, and then slash slash, colon slash slash, www dot, I sound like such a grandfather, don't I? Um, <laughs> anyway, the point is, it's UAP dot, guide right uap.guide okay so and this is interesting because so what it says if you go to that website that i've you know effortlessly read out uh it says uap guide a 15 minute introduction to unidentified anomalous phenomena and then it uh, quotes rubio we have things flying over our military bases we don't know what it is and it isn't ours that's what rubio says and then a big blue button that says get started and when you press the button it's got like a kind of rundown or a um what would you call that a kind of in the, uh, a contents that's right and um you know so it's it's all very familiar to us but it's the perfect kind of thing that you would send to somebody and it's got loads and loads of really good links it's got loads of really good articles it's got the 60 minutes um you know kind of thing embedded it gives a bit of a before the links and stuff you know in plain sight is there the leslie kane um documentary five-part documentary is there um you know that kind of thing but before the links and the you know the kind of you know further information section we've got uh essentially a kind of history of you know you, you can imagine what is in a UAP guy, can't you, you guys? So anyway, if there are aunties or uncles or, you know, prospective boyfriends or prospective girlfriends or retrospective boyfriends or retrospective girlfriends that you're wanting to, you know, kind of have a conversation about uh, UAPs with, then maybe, um, you know, kind of WhatsApp it to them, you know, WhatsApp it to Hancock. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's incredibly difficult not to talk about Boris Johnson or the old sausage. But that's not this podcast, is it? No. So never mind, Sausage Johnson. Anyway, um, so so that's really good, isn't it? So it's called UAP.guide. And I actually found it because it was linked uh, in this thing that I am now going to speak about because this is actually the news section, right? Um, and this is Americans for Safe Aerospace. Okay, so this is something that Ryan Graves and a few other people have launched, right? Ryan Graves, as you almost certainly know, is that ex-pilot who, um, you know, kind of witnessed various uh, unusual phenomena 
phenomena and he's been kind of very kind of vocal about it uh, ever since. And he's got this fantastic podcast called Merged. And I really think that what Ryan is doing with that podcast is like, like really incredibly important. Yeah. It is like taking on the stigma of uh, airline pilots um, being afraid to report what they see in the skies, yeah, being afraid to report UAB. And it is taking it head on. It is essentially the kind of aim of the podcast. And I am like truly grateful for Ryan's work in that area. And of course, he's got these incredible podcast episodes. And I can't recommend Merged enough. It is brilliant. And Ryan is brilliant. And his latest incarnation of his brilliance is this uh, this um, lobbying group, essentially, called ASA, Americans for Safe Aerospace. Everything I talk about is linked, obviously, in the episode description. So if you want to know more, then just jump onto the links in the episode description. So this is from their website here about ASA. I won't read out the bloody um, website again, like some doddery old granddad in the local library. Um, Americans for Safe Aerospace is an issue advocacy organization for aerospace safety and national security with a focus on unidentified anomalous phenomena, UAP. ASA supports the pilots and other aerospace professionals who are reporting UAP with credible voices, public education, grassroots activism, and lobbying on Capitol Hill. If UAP are foreign drones, they pose an urgent threat to national security and airspace safety. If they are something else, it must be a scientific priority to find out. Okay, so there we go. Absolutely brilliant. And as part of the kind of conversation around his launch, he was on CNN. So here is an extract of Ryan Graves on CNN. Former Navy fighter pilot Brian Graves has a new article in Politico titled, We Have a Real UFO Problem and It's Not Balloons. He joins me now. Uh, Ryan, I'm with you. I mean, you, you've seen weirder things than a Chinese balloon while you've been uh, in the sky, yes? Certainly. We, we've seen things that we haven't been, been able to explain as simply a balloon. Uh, and as we've been talking about the various objects that have been shot down over the U.S., there's been a pretty clear bifurcation between what we've been calling the Chinese balloon and what these other three objects are. And while we don't know what they are, the fact of the matter is we should know what's above our head at any given time, whether it's a national security issue or whether it's a scientific uh, question, we need to figure out what, what's above our heads. That video that we just showed, were those, was that from your squad? Yes, that was in 2015 while we were uh, aboard the USS Theodore Roosevelt off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, we were doing training missions, uh, preparing for our combat deployment. We recorded that object as well as other objects that were operating in our vicinity on a regular basis. And we simply didn't know what they were, but we did know that they were a safety hazard for our air crew and for our training missions. And we've been looking for the right way to report and deal with those issues ever since. Uh, with the Americans for Safe Aerospace, we're going to be pushing legislative action to ensure that the proper policies are in place so that pilots and aviators, both in the military and in the commercial markets, feel comfortable reporting these things. Whether, again, it's a national security issue, we need to pay attention to make sure there's not security gaps, or whether there is something unknown, we need to inquire on that. But, Ryan, what was that thing? That's what we're still trying to figure out. So what we know is that it wasn't one of our... Uh, aircraft that we are operating within a vicinity of. We're fairly certain that it's not a foreign adversary at this point, but it still remains in the unknown bucket. And the, the primary issue here is that there are enough things that are in that bucket of unknown uh, that the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office within the DOD and various senators and, and Congress uh, congressmen and women are looking into this matter from the, from the angle of national security in a way we haven't had before. Uh, with the recent shootdowns, we can see just how serious uh, of an issue it is, even if they are just balloons. Uh, just balloons can still be a national security issue when they're overhead our national security facilities and airspace. But these things that you've seen, and in fact, I should let everybody know, you saw them a lot. This wasn't just a one-off once in 2015. You saw UFOs 
often. And these things, correct me if I'm wrong, they do things. They, they have sort of technology that you all couldn't identify. It's not that we were just seeing them out there and somewhat identifying something in, in the distance. We're using a, a multitude of sensors on our aircraft uh, and also distributed across multiple aircraft and different platforms that are detecting these objects within a sensor network. And so when we then correlate uh, those radar tracks with our infrared camera systems and eventually move in closer to detect them with our eyeballs, uh, we, have, we have high confidence uh, in those track files and what we're experiencing. And what we're experiencing are things that we're really not sure what they are at the end of the day. Uh, they're performing a number of behaviors that we don't recognize, such as the ability to stay stationary in very high winds uh, with no lifting platforms, no surfaces, but also to maintain speeds of 0.6 to 0.8 Mach, which is upwards of 350 knots. Uh, and they can do that for, uh, for many hours on end. Uh, we, we don't have the ability to do that in our aircraft. And we simply don't know who's operating these or what their intent are. Ryan also wrote an opinion piece for Politico, which is called We Have a Real UFO Problem and It's Not Blooms. And in that, he writes, Above all, we need to listen to pilots. Military and civilian pilots provide critical first-hand insights into advanced UAP. Right now, the stigma attached to reporting UAP is still too strong. Since I came forward about UAP in 2019, only one other pilot from my squadron has gone public. Commercial pilots also face significant risks to their careers for doing so. New rules are needed to require civilian pilots to report UAP, protect the pilots from retribution, and a process must be established for investigating their reports. Derision or denial over the unknown is unacceptable. This is a time for curiosity. If the phenomena I witness with my own eyes turns out to be foreign drones, they pose an urgent threat to national security and airspace safety. If there's something else, it must be a scientific priority to find out. So mirroring the words of um, the ASA there at the end. And it's a fantastic article. And, you know, kudos to Politico for publishing it. And it's obviously linked, so read the whole thing. And with that, we close the news. After the blomps, we will go into the 1970s. So now we have come to the review of UFOs, past, present and future. And I'm going to start by reading out um, extracts from this uh uh, this article written by Robbie Graham in uh, January 2019, which is called When the Government Gave Hollywood Footage of a Real Alien Landing. Okay, because this puts, uh, this gives you quite a lot of context to the, uh, to the show, okay, to the film, I should say. Well, it, it was a show, actually, a TV show, first of all. So now this article is linked in the episode notes, as you would, um, you know, think lesser of me if I didn't do that. So it's my pleasure to do that. And please do follow it up. So here we go. This is Robbie Graham here. Uh, last year, I wrote a piece here at Mysterious Universe, which is the name of the podcast that hosts this piece of writing, by the way, examining historical cases of UFO censorship in Hollywood products. For the most part, these censorship efforts were in line with the CIA Robertson panel's officially stated policy that UFOs are essentially non-existent and should therefore be, quote, debunked and demystified through media channels. But what about the flip side of the coin? Is there any substance to the popular notion that the government has been using Hollywood not to censor UFO information, but to encourage us to believe in alien visitation? Conclusive proof of a UFO acclimat acclimatization agenda remains elusive as the entire theory rests on only a small handful of cases scattered across the decades, which I present in my book, Silver Screen Sources. Arguably the most compelling case in support of a government alien acclimation agenda is that of the feature documentary film, UFOs Past, Present and Future, 1974. 
1972, filmmaker Robert Emmenegger and his producing partner, Alan Sandler, were encouraged by the United States Air Force to make a major documentary feature about the UFO phenomenon. Emmenegger, a former vice president and creative director at Grey Advertising, a real-life Don Draper for Mad Men, told me, although he doesn't look anything like the actor, by the way, that plays Don, um, told me that his partner, quote, had very strange connections for a producer and that he thought Sandler, quote, did things for the CIA and maybe even the FBI. They all seemed to work together. And Emmenegger was ideally suited to an assignment of this nature. As a student at UCLA in the mid-1950s, his thesis examined the influence of motion pictures on public behavior. And the young Emmenegger was particularly interested in how cinema could be used as an instrument of propaganda. Additionally, Emmenegger had spent a number of years working for the United States Information Agency, or USIA, a politically correct term given the government's long-running propaganda agency. Um, Emmenegger had also performed duties for President Richard Nixon. In December 1968, the then-president-elect wrote to Emmenegger seeking his active participation and assistance in finding exceptional individuals worthy of appointment in his incoming administration. Nixon referred to Emmenegger as a leader and in a position to know and recommend the best minds in America. Emmenegger described to me how he was briefed on the UFO project at Norton Air Force Base in a clean room used by the CIA, so there's no way anyone could eavesdrop on us. In an offer similar to that made by Walt Disney some 20 years earlier, the UASF promised Emmenegger real UFO footage, this time allegedly showing a UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base in 1971 and the subsequent face-to-face meeting between alien visitors and delegates of the US government. Emmenegger was sceptical, but he was assured by the USAF that the footage existed and was genuine. While he waited for the footage to materialise, Emmenegger and his crew continued with their wider production research for which they were given unprecedented access to DOD facilities, including the Pentagon. Emmenegger was even granted time with high-ranking military officers well-versed in UFO-related matters, among them Colonel William Coleman, a former spokesman for Project Blue Book, and Colonel George Weinbrenner, then head of foreign technologies at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, the location where alien materials and bodies allegedly recovered from the 1947 Roswell crash are said to have been stored. But who in the Air Force would sign off on such a controversial project? Emmenegger put this question to Pentagon spokesman Colonel Coleman, who informed him that the Secretary of the Air Force gave us the order to cooperate. Thus, in in an unprecedented move, the Air Force, Army and Navy gave their full backing to a UFO-themed production. So too did NASA, who provided Emmenegger's research team with previously unreleased photographs of what appeared to be UFOs in space taken by Gemini astronauts. We had carte blanche to go anywhere, to go anywhere, ask any questions, Emmenegger told me. There were no restrictions put on us. Emmenegger even claims to have been shown top-secret footage shot at Vandenberg Air Force Base, which showed two UFOs, quote, playfully running behind a U.S. missile. After months of shooting, Emmenegger's documentary was complete, save for one crucial ingredient, the much-hyped alien landing footage. At the 11th hour, the USAF withdrew its permission for use of the material. The political climate had changed, it said, and was now deemed inappropriate due to the Watergate scandal, which had recently broken in the news. Quote, I felt like we had egg on our face, Emmenegger told me. I felt cheated that we were not allowed to see this film. It was taken back to the Pentagon. I stupidly expected to have this footage, which would have been earth-shattering. Today, Emmenegger seems as baffled by the whole affair as anyone. Were we had? 
Were we being used, he asked. Aminaga's Golden Globe-nominated documentary, UFOs Past, Present and Future, was finally released in 1974 and was groundbreaking in its extensive use of information provided by the DOD. In addition to the aforementioned photographs from Nasha, from Nasha, from the Bino, it featured sit-down interviews with the former heads of Project Blue Book and footage shot inside the Pentagon of Colonel Coleman talking open-mindedly about the extraterrestrial hypothesis. In the absence of the landing footage, Amanegger was forced to include an animated reconstruction of the event as described to him by the USAF, complete with artistic rendering of the alleged aliens. The documentary presented the incident as one that might happen in the future, or perhaps could have happened already. But the promised landing footage wasn't entirely absent, at least not according to Emenegger. During the dramatic reconstruction of the alleged landing, eagle-eyed viewers can catch a few frames of what appears to be a genuine, self-luminescent, unidentified flying object descending slowly in the distance against the, dra- the backdrop of Holloman's surrounding landscape. These frames, Emenegger claims were taken from the original landing footage and authorised by the USAF during the editing stage for use in his completed documentary. Although Enemaga's documentary was greenlit by the Secretary of the Air Force, the roots of the project likely lead back to Langley, Virginia, and to the CIA. Enemaga revealed to me that it was his production partner, the CIA-connected Alan Sandler, who brought the project to him in the first place. And let us not forget that Emenegger received his briefing at Norton Air Force Base in a CIA clean room. Furthermore, Emenegger told me that a CIA courier named Dick Besk shadowed him and his crew throughout his documentary's entire production process. Besk was always hanging around us, said Emenegger, observing. And then it talks a little bit about how Besk was involved in an organization called VIPS that essentially um, tried to uh, uh, lobby on behalf of, you know, kind of insensibleness in terms of the ridiculous intelligence that led up to the um, US invasion of Iraq. Okay, so that's one paragraph. Read the article for that paragraph. And then it goes back. It should be noticed that Emenegger's documentary was re-edited and re-released in 1979, featuring additional content. It also received a new title, UFOs It Has Begun. Um, so I've got a link to that, actually. And I think that that's at that point, this is me speaking, by the way. Um, at that point, I think that's when they edited Jacques Vallée. So the, the link that I've got... It's, they, it's actually called UFOs, and then in brackets, it has begun, and then out of brackets, uh, past, present, and future. Okay? So it's very, it's definitely worth, I'm going to review it in a minute, but it's definitely worth watching. So get the link in the episode description. So let's go back to this article here. Could it be there, really, is a government agenda to acc- acclimate us to UFO reality? <laughs> If so, then on the face of it, those behind the agenda would at times have been working in different opposition to the Pentagon, which had worked hard over the years to keep UFOs out of the popular imagination and or distance itself from UFO conspiracy theories on screen. But perhaps there has been, there has long been a separate, more sophisticated power group working through the national security apparatus, one whose Hollywood agenda, agenda transcends the polarised dynamic of debunk versus acclimatise. Um, the UFO subject has always been a diverse, a divisive one, even within the corridors of power. And it would be a mistake to assume that all branches of the government and military see eye to eye on this thorny issue. If there is a hidden hand tweaking and seeding Hollywood's UFO-themed products, it could well belong to a group of, or agency so secretive that its very existence is unknown to the public a quasi-governmental, quasi-private entity accountable only to itself. Something to contemplate while you're munching on your popcorn at the next big alien movie. Yeah, 
That's how it ends. It doesn't end with the word yeah, by the way. But thank you very much. That's brilliant writing there from Robbie Graham. And I'll put a link to his book, Silver Screen Sources, in the episode description as well. And of course, what that makes me think of is all of you fans of the fantastic podcast Need to Know is Bryce Sable's stories of Hollywood. And apparently, according to this another fantastic podcast that I listen to religiously, uh, Vinny's Disclosure Team, um, he had a fantastic interview with um, with Ross Coulthard the other day. Yeah, like you got to check this out. I'll tell you what, I'll put it in the episode description. And Ross Coulthard was saying that in the next episode of um, of Need to Know, they're going to talk about the Hollywood connection, essentially, because Bryce Saber is, is a screenwriter, isn't he? So if, for those of you that don't know what the hell I'm talking about here, Need to Know is a podcast, and it's um, fronted by two people. One of them is a man called Bryce Zabel. He's been looking into this for years, and he's a screenwriter. And he has this extraordinary tale to tell about uh, this kind of... Um, peculiar men in black type figure wandering up to him at a party and um, being very mysterious essentially and um, and and then Ross Coulthard the journalist from Australia is the other um, host of that podcast anyway so that's, that's that's exactly what it reminds me of you know this uh, there is a kind of bubbling question about you know, Spielberg was um, talking the other day, wasn't he? Yeah, old Spielberg. You know, there's lots of rumour about, you know, do people get tipped off? Do people get um, involved in some in some way? And is this an example of, um, you know, kind of disclosure, like it's a soft disclosure, if you like? Now, the key question for us, obviously, is, does this documentary contain footage of an actual UFO? Well, you can see for eight seconds that something comes down. It looks like a bright light. Um, now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you a, uh, a little extract from this TV show that came out in 1988 called UFO Cover-Up Live. And apparently this also was a kind of CIA, according to... Um, um, Grant Cameron, this was also a kind of CIA-backed um, thing, yeah? So that's why it's all kind of scripted. And a friend of mine, actually, um, noticed the scripted nature. And Grant Cameron says, well, the reason why it's scripted is because, you know, they didn't want the CIA, didn't want anyone to go off script. Hey, makes sense. So um, anyway, so what you're going to hear now is a conversation between Robert Emenegger and this guy called, I think it's called um, Shartle. And Shartle um, was responsible for, you know, all kind of audio and visual that uh, kind of left the, um, the the place where they were shooting it. And uh, also the guy that kind of, you know, is doing the, doing the show, right? So it's three people, three voices you're going to hear. And then we actually then go into audio of Grant Cameron talking about what he's heard in relation to um, the kind of veracity of, of this footage. With me is author and filmmaker Robert Emenegger and former security manager and chief of requirements for the audiovisual program at Norton Air Force Base, Paul Shartle. Gentlemen, Mr. Emenegger, how did you get involved with UFOs? Well, it was in 1973 when I was vice president at Gray Advertising, and I took time out and went to Norton Air Force Base to explore subjects for television specials related to the Defense Department. While discussing several of the subjects, UFOs came up, and Paul here told us about a film of a landing of alien crafts at uh, Holloman Air Force Base about three years earlier. What did you see, Mr. Shuttle? I saw footage of three disc-shaped crafts. One of the crafts landed and two of them went away. Why did it land? It appeared to be in trouble because it oscillated all the way down to the ground. However, it did land on three pods. A sliding door opened, a ramp was extended, and out came three aliens. <laughs> what, what did they look like? Well, they were human-sized. They had odd gray complexion and a pronounced nose. They wore tight-fitting jumpsuits, thin headdresses that appeared to be communication devices, and their hands, in their hands, they held a translator 
I was told. A Holloman base commander and other Air Force officers went out to meet me. You actually saw these aliens on the film? Yes. This film footage sounded very, very special, and we wanted to use it as the ending of our television special. And did you? Was it in your special? Well, although the Pentagon had been very, very cooperative all the way, at the last minute the film was confiscated and we lost the whole finale of our show. But what I saw and heard was enough to convince me that, you know, the phenomenon of UFOs is real, very real. Mr. Shardle, what did your superior officers tell you? I was told it was theatrical footage the Air Force has purchased to make a training film. Well, that sounds plausible, doesn't it? Well, if it were a, a uh, theatrical film, why didn't I have a record of this? It was my job to keep accurate records of all audiovisual purchases. Is there any other reason that you feel this was not a theatrical film? Yes, it was too real. The people who were shooting that day were Air Force personnel. Lucky for us, the day they were shooting, they were doing an acceleration test. Yeah, well, it's too bad we couldn't get that footage from the Air Force. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us. Then they put the documentary out, and then I find out that there's eight seconds of the Holloman Air Force Base film in the film. So Bob's my friend. I phone him up, Bob. There's eight seconds of film in there. And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, you told me to hold the film. You told me it was sent back to the Pentagon. And he said, well, it did. And he told me this whole story about the guy going across the country in this small Datsun, taking the film back to the Pentagon. I said, but there's eight seconds of film in the documentary. And then he said the key words, he said, but it didn't show anything. And I said, oh no, he said, it's background. And I said, background? What do you mean it's background? And he said, it didn't show anything. And what it is, is you see the hills of Holloman, and you see this object, this brilliantly lit object at six o'clock in the morning coming over the hills, but it's in a distance. So it, you don't see it close up, and you don't see the alien when the alien gets out. That's the classified part. So they want you to know that Holloman happened, and they allowed them to use this the eight seconds of the film, but the rest of the film, the classified part, was pulled. So now it gets wilder because a couple of days ago, James Fox gave a fantastic uh, couple of interviews to this guy called Julian Dory, and um, they're definitely worth checking out. And I've got the one, the uh, most recent one, posted on the episode description. And James Fox talks about being in a car with Alan Sandler, the, um, the the producer of this documentary, okay? So get, and this is the guy with the kind of CIA connections, yeah? So get a load of this. So I'm in a car, I'm talking to Alan, and he tells me out of the blue that he saw, and this is the guy that produced UFOs Past, Present, and Future, He's got Jacques Vallée in the movie. He's got all these characters who are all part of the government. I mean, like, something's up. I pull the car over. And I did what I always do when I want to really absorb a story. And that is I close my eyes. And the reason why is because I want the words to create the imagery. I want to know exactly every detail of what he saw. So pull the car over the side of the road, stop, turn the engine off, had the speaker, I had my phone on speaker, and I said, Alan, tell me exactly what you saw. So he said, okay. There were three discs that were esc escorted by a military jet, roughly 10, he wasn't sure of the altitude, 10, 12,000 feet, it was guesstimation. This is what the film footage saw that he claims to have seen that Paul Shartle at Norton Air Force Base in California on camera admitted that he had it in his possession, he'd seen it, and that it was not of Earth origin in Paul Shartle's opinion, Emenegger's opinion as well, but Emenegger never saw it. Alan Saylor did see it. Alan, he doesn't know what it, what it was. He think it could have been some kind of potentially a uh, stage of it, whatever. So three discs flying in, okay? Two of them peel away, gets over the base, and one of them wobbles to the ground. And he said it was like a leaf, um, like a leaf, like floating down yes. from the side. The way it, he said it was like, it looked like it was in trouble. Well, any, anybody, any credible witnesses you ever talked to about a flying saucer, when they're hovering, they're unstable. They kind of, all the witnesses will tell you that it was like a ship floating on a rough sea almost kind of, they do this kind of movement. I've seen footage of a UFO one time that did exactly that. And it's, it looks like it's uh, oscillating. It's, it's, it's got a weight. I don't know. It's just, it's not stable. So anyway, he says it wobbles down to the ground like it was in trouble. But I don't think Alan knew that's how they hover, apparently. 
So comes out of the ground and he goes, you know, James, I said, well, hold on a second. Was the camera on sticks? Was it handheld? Was it black and white? Was it color? Mm-hmm. Like what, well, you know, cause if, if it was on sticks and they were anticipating it coming. So are you also listening for where it feels like when you do this, cause you want such detail, are you trying to listen to poke holes on where he's not going to be very sure about something and you can kind of pick up on it? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I want every, every, I did that, you know, <laughs> I did that once with uh, Edgar Mitchell, the Apollo 14, six men to walk on the moon. Cause I wanted to know what it was like to walk on the moon. <laughs> give me every detail, you know, down to the macro meteorites pelting the skin of the crap. They were sitting on the surface of the moon, but that's another story. So anyway, he says it lands and he said, James, just like in a sci-fi movie, this seamless door opens and out come these beings that had very large noses, slits for mouths, and their eyes were like almost like a vertical slit, like a cat eye, like very, very big. And they had, uh, I'm just like, a, I'm not saying, I, I need to make this abundantly clear to your audience. I'm not saying what's true or what's not true or if it happened or if it's alien or whatever it is, I'm just telling you what I was told by people who saw it, claimed to have seen it and that they came out and they met with the base commanders and then they either got into a Jeep or about to get into a Jeep or do something. And then the film footage just guts. So I was like, what happened? Why didn't you guys get to use that footage? He goes, well, there was one of our flying saucers. Alan was like, it was definitely one of our flying saucers. I was like, so you think that we have flying saucer technology in our possession? He goes, yeah, but it wasn't very good because it couldn't hover very well. It was looked like it was in trouble. I said, one yeah, of, but wait, it, one of ours. That's what he was saying. talking about. He's mentioning the, the seeing the creature here too. Yeah. So he, he here's what his thoughts were. His thoughts were that that it was a real flying saucer that was in our possession. That which would indicate that, that we had that technology in 1972, which I think is bullshit. Okay. Um, uh, and that and that the beans were, you know, made up, dressed up, whatever. You know, he's like, I, I, I can't say for sure. So I'm hammering. So I really stuck my teeth into it. Now, the, the point of this is that there is very credible testimony claims that a UFO landed at Holloman Air Force Base. There were a number of witnesses that were on the record. Corral Lorenzo documented this whole thing in the UFO bulletin. Then there was a film made roughly eight years later that was going to possibly include that footage. Now, Paul Shartle, who showed the footage to Alan Sandler, had men in dark suits show up from wherever and say, you know, don't ever talk what, what, what happened here. This was not supposed to have happened. And, Took the footage away and debriefed him, and that was the end. Sir, of that. looking a lot, please. Yeah, oh, I'm right here. Your name is yeah. John Smith. So Alan, so Alan didn't tell Emanager for forty whatever it was years. Wow. So that whole aspect of it came out. So now the point of the story is this. Okay. Now, if you go online, you hear about secret meetings with President Eisenhower and aliens at a base, and blah blah blah. You hear all this shit, you're like, there's no substance to that story at all. In fact, there's lots of substance to the story I just told you guys. There is incredibly compelling testimony that that event happened and that there's film footage of that event. Now, what exactly it was? Was it first contact? Was it a staged event? Was it our technology? Was it a flying? I, I don't know. But that story probably happened. Okay, some aspect of it, the meeting with the aliens and the treaties and all this stuff with President Eisenhower, was that just thrown in there to throw everybody off? In my opinion, absolutely. Yes. Is there a substance to the story I just shared with you? Absolutely. Yes. But now suddenly that everything's been, the waters have been muddied. What a can of worms. Who the hell wants to look into that case of our president of the United States making contact and signing treaties with aliens? So it's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to steer clear of that, you know. So just giving you one example of obfuscation, it's a perfect thing to do. Okay, so that's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, by the way, um, in an earlier episode, I covered the Eisenhower story, um, which happened in the, uh, was it 54, 55, apparently? 
you know, allegedly uh, Eisenhower met a bunch of them, didn't they? Yeah. So what do we make of it all? I mean, you know, it's it's very difficult. It's, it's definitely the most interesting thing about the film is this, <laughs> the last couple of moments and that eight seconds. You know, it's an intriguing eight seconds. And I don't think it's beyond the wit of, you know, a well-sourced documentary filmmaker to kind of get to the bottom of what's going on here. Um, it does sound really unusual and intriguing, this kind of CIA uh, involvement in this project and then in the project that's, you know, the kind of UFO cover-up live project as well. The ebb and flow of who wants to know and who's trying to keep things in the dark and who's trying to push things into the light. It's absolutely fascinating and it'd be really interesting to get to a place where we're looking back on it um, knowing a lot more than we do now, you know. Uh, as a film, it's definitely worth watching. Um, it's not going to surprise any one of you if you you know, kind of know your UFO law. And then there's lots of different reenactments of famous um, cases. They also do a bit of cattle mutilation, which is quite interesting. The whole look is really beautiful. You know, it's kind of like early 70s look to it with early 70s excellent music, which apparently Robert Emenager did the music as well, which is a very talented fellow, isn't he? Yes. And, um, you know, it's definitely worth watching, but certainly this this question mark over those eight seconds is the is the real the real key to to the um, historic nature of the documentary. So I'm going to leave you now with a question which you probably know the answer to. Why are so many chocolate bars named after? intergalactic entities you got galaxy you got mars you got the milky way you got apollo which was the chocolate bar in lost yeah do you remember apollo mm, delicious and um you've also got uh, the milky way ripoff um, which is cosmic whip which is such a good name for a chocolate bar isn't it chocolate whip i really a oh, chocolate whip <laughs> cosmic whip I really want to, it's very delicious, by the way. It's not as good as Milky Way, but they get quite close. But I really want to have a real-life cosmic whip. Anyway, that's the end of the show. Join us next week for episode 48, where we welcome back J. Christopher King to talk about that fantastic lineup of speakers that he has for his New York conference in just over a month's time. And... Uh, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Join me, cover me in gold coins. <laughs> uh, listen, have a fantastic week and take care of yourself. And thank you so much for listening. And see you later.